Hello, welcome to Book Shambles. Producer Trent here. Uh, this week's guest is Dan Richards, author of many books, including his latest book, Outpost, which is all about uh, journeying to the edges of civilization. Don't expect a huge amount of chat about that book because uh, the shambles and tangents are alive and well in this episode. So do make sure you go and check out uh, Dan's book from the Canongate website or get it from uh, Hive or your local independent bookshop or anywhere else you may choose. Uh, It's a great book, so do hunt that down. Reminder about some of our events coming up. The Norwich Science Festival is just around the corner and we will be there with uh, a talk from Professor Lucy Green and The Signals Show. Uh, Chris Lintot's doing a talk about his new book, The Crowd and the Cosmos. We'll have uh, Chris on the show soon as well plus Universe of Music with Chris and Steve Pretty. Robin is on tour throughout November uh, with his Chaos of Delight tour. No solo tour in 2020 from Robin, so this will be your last chance to catch a proper full live stand-up show from Robin for quite a while. So check out robinint.com for those uh, dates and details. Going to Glasgow and Edinburgh and Exeter and Penzance and Cambridge and beyond. Josie Long also on tour at the moment. Go to her website to check out her dates. Don't forget Nine Lessons and Carols for Curious People is right around the corner in the in December and the end of November in Salford as well. Cosmicshambles.com slash nine lessons. And of course, CosmicShambles.com is full of all the latest blogs and bits and bobs and podcasts, Science Shambles podcasts that we've been up to. And you can support everything we're up to by either coming to some of our live shows or pledging on Patreon as little as $1 a month. Patreon.com slash BookShambles is where you need to go to do that. Please do subscribe to the podcast everywhere you can subscribe to podcasts. Uh, If you listen on Apple Podcasts, reviews and five-star ratings on there really do help us out. And do remember that if you want to get the reading lists for all the books talked about in each episode of Book Shambles, cosmicshambles.com slash bookshambles is the place to go find uh, the episode. So go to the Dan Richards episode and there's a tab there that will give you the list of all the books that are talked about in this episode uh, and likewise for all of the other episodes. Now on to this week's episode. Here is Robin and Dan. Brilliant. Hello, welcome to Book Shambles. And uh, today we'll, we'll have no preamble because I haven't had a donut immediately beforehand, so I'm very, very tired. Um, the man I'm about to speak to now, uh, the last time I saw him was at the beautiful um, Port Elliot Festival, possibly the last ever Port Elliot Festival. It's fantastic, isn't it? It's amazing. I hope it's not the last one because, uh, yeah, it was fun, wasn't it? We drank wine. You had to go somewhere. I had to go very quickly because I was straight off to uh, Lyme Regis. Ah. Uh, the, if, though, in fact, I did stop off in Plymouth on the way uh, to, uh, to, to watch a horror film and then uh, read a very interesting book about Tommy, the movie Tommy. The Who? Have, yeah, have you ever seen that movie? Yeah. My f- oh, yeah, I remember seeing that when I was at university and at one point, I think Keith Moon's in charge of letting people through a door. That's right. It's, it's a kind of holiday camp thing. Yeah. He's also in, yeah, he, he becomes part of the great, where, where they celebrate the deaf, dumb and blind yeah, kids. The, yeah. yeah, pinball stuff. And it, just at one point, Keith Moon pauses, and the person I was sat next to went, not you, Grandma. 
uh, about about an old lady who happened to be at that point in the queue. And so I always associate Tommy with Keith Moon saying to a sort of perfectly nice old lady, not you, Grandma, you can't see the deaf, dumb, and blind pinball wizard. It's um, such a strange... Because uh, this book's by Kit Power. It's from the... I'm, I'm going to forget the name of it, but they're, they're wonderful movie monograph books, a series of books, okay. uh, which each one, a different author, deals with uh, horror movies like Theatre of Blood. Have you ever seen that? Vincent Price and Dinah Rigg. Oh yes, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's the the one where he kills different critics in the style of different Shakespearean murders. Yes, and uh, the wonderful moment with Rabbit Morley. Meredith married you. This is your dish, uh, and he's cooked all his puppies, my babies, my babies. And uh, they also do Deathline. Deathline's one of my favourites, uh, which I highly recommend and have talked about on on this before. Deathline is set in kind of Russell Square tube station, where uh, the progeny of some uh, tube workers who were probably killed in a fall have grown up and it's the last surviving cannibal who lives in the tube and his only language is mind the doors mind the doors so it's a proto teenage mutant ninja turtles oh yeah but, but it's crossed with ridley walker it's yeah yeah the ridley walker element <laughs> cups up more than the teenage it, but it's um but that's a fantastic book about that um anyway so that's what i did immediately after port elliot but it was uh, and i also read for the first time i'm going to talk about confederacy of dunces oh okay that's the first novel that i read after i last saw you have you read a confederacy of dunces i have read the first Forty pages, and I found it slightly hard going. And then I got distracted by other books. That's what happened the first time I read it. And then, because I was on holiday uh, in a fossil town, uh, I read it in kind of not one fell swoop, but over four days. And it does is richly rewarding once you. It's funny that, isn't it? The, as, as you know, you work with a lot of books as well, and you speak to a lot of authors. That thing where. Um, Certain books to penetrate them can be very, very difficult, can't it? Yeah. So I know one of my favourite books is Sombrero Fallout by Richard Brotigan. I love that book with a sort of quite uh, worrying passion. And I often gift it to people. Um, and there are two responses. One is, I got through that so quickly, that was amazing. Isn't it funny? Isn't it brilliant? The other one is, no, <laughs> I didn't really get on with that at all. I didn't see the point. You know, there, I think I have two two distinct sets of friends and one one set needs a point to read a book. You know, I didn't see that was going anywhere. And especially with that book, if, if you've ever read it, it's sort of like, well, well, no, that's not. No, I could. No, I could see you wouldn't get on with the book if you want, you know, a sort of a sort of arrow like trajectory through a book. But then it, uh, you're not going to get on with Richard Brodkin's whole canon if that's what you're after either. But I, I love that book so much. But it really divides people. And a lot of the books that I really love, like um, Duck, Death and the Tulip. Oh, I don't Do you know, know that? that at all, no. Because you were talking about A.L. Kennedy before. I sent her a copy of it because she has just written a book from the point of view of a snake in a little prince. Oh, man, that is that actually made me, uh, of all, I, very re- I don't think I've ever properly cried reading a book. Lem Sisse's book is very, very close to that, which, in fact, I read on the... I've got... I bookended, because I read that book on the journey to Port Elliot, then I met you, and I read Confederacy's Dunces on the way back. So, that, ah. But I read that, that book about the, the, the snake for the Little Prince, mm. um, I think partly also because uh, I read a bit from the Little Prince at my mum's funeral, so I feel very close oh, to that okay. book anyway. But, man, the final few pages of that book yeah. are fucking potent. In yeah. terms of, I mean, I saw her give a reading from it um, at Edinburgh, yeah, Edinburgh Festival just recently, and um, once you got over being slightly distracted by the fact she appeared to be dressed exactly as Ray Davis from the Kinks, 
you know, she had the most amazing suit on and the kind of bowl haircut. And uh, next day I saw her in the author's yurt and uh, she was there in sort of like a hoodie. So I wouldn't say I was going to say tracksuit, but I don't think Al Kennedy. I can't see Al Kennedy a tracksuit. No, no. jogging no. bottoms. No, 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 no. no, no. But um, we ended up. Um, yes. So she did the talk, and it was amazing. And she reads so well, and she just has. She takes everybody into that bubble of the reading, and you're in the book. And she read the bit about the uh, spoilers, I suppose. Tony Blair type character, you know, the mm. the champion of the people. In a, in a different way and uh, the snake's conversation with him and she had everybody with her in the room you know everybody was just there and then a small lady in the front row uh, I think had a bit of a funny turn and she was so humane and lovely and interrupted and said right we need to sort this lovely lady out I thought because... you said, and then you stood up and said not you grandma not you grandma and, you thought, and, I, and I, I threw her you. through the doors what have you done to me Ken Russell yeah the beans the beans and Eric Clapton as God stop it <laughs> did you have um in, in terms of, you know, because you go to quite a few events as well and you see quite a lot of, uh, what do you think are, there are certain authors where you think, I wish they hadn't read their work. I think that's going to affect the uh, sales in, a, you know, not some people. And there are others who bring, you know, because it is such a separate thing for a yeah. lot of people. I, I, I mean, I sometimes think that's why authors in literary festivals can seem so fucking rude. Uh, I always just presume it's because, in fact, they're painfully shy uh, and they only wish to be in their garret and have been forced there. Yeah. They might also just be really fucking rude. Um, I think there are two sets, aren't there? There are people who write books so they can give the books to the publisher and say, there you go. That's mm. as far as I go with that. They, they seem to also be in the category of people who complain about their covers and actually everything else that they've checked out of at that point to go, I know. And it's not even to do with sparrows and they put a sparrow <laughs> on the cover and I'm just livid. And I, you know, had I not written the next seven books already and, you know, been distracted by that. I, you know, I had no idea. Um, or there are people who, well, like myself, I only write books so that I can do this sort of thing. I can do the fun stuff. Um, I love talking about them. I, do, I love doing the travel for them. I love speaking to other people. I'm fascinated with process. Um, and I really like talking about the books and, you know, giving readings and things like that. Um, the current book, there's quite a lot. So in Outpost is your, your yes, sorry. one, yeah. Yeah, so in Outpost, I, I go around to various outposts all over the world and there's uh, huts in Iceland. And so when I'm reading that bit, um, I do, uh, you know, an approximation, a very rough approximation of an Icelandic accent because you can't not really in that way. You're very good. You were just, you know, talking about James Mason and your Stuart Lee impersonation is, is worryingly accurate. Uh, but with, um, so I met a carpenter called Atli when I was in Iceland and I was writing this book about the ends of the world. And Atlee just, uh, you know, it's the, the bit that I love to tell about that book, which is that we'd been working on this cabin for a week. And then Atlee went, so I also have uh, some experience of uh, being isolated and on my own. And I went, oh, yeah. And he went, yes. So a few years ago now, I was abandoned on the Ross ice shelf, just me and a tent. And I was actually helping uh, a Toyota to drive a car to the uh, South Pole uh, and I said okay so I was left on my own and they said we will pick you up in a week and I said cool and then they left me on my own just me and a tent it's like a Rothko painting you know uh, me and a tent and there are mountains in the far distance but me on my own in a tent uh, at the bottom of the world on my own it's cool it's nice but uh, no I mean 
tell me more about your book. Right <laughs> it's like, bloody hell. Um, and, you know, those sort of things. And I love telling those stories in the room. But I imagine that, you know, because I like that sort of thing, but I imagine other people would sort of like gloss over that as silly and they would just want to be asked questions by a chair who had definitely read the book and was going to sort of like uh, make them seem clever. Yeah. Whereas I've no interest in that because I'm not. In there the are way... people, it's, it's interesting when you see certain people, because I think it's quite hard at book festivals because some people have had to read 40 books and then they do 30 interviews. But there are mm. some people where you go, they really, uh, someone like, I don't know if you've ever seen Lee Randall when she, yeah. she you know, she's really, she's, because she loves books so much. Mm. And and I think that's, you know, that, that bit of the possibility of a conversation. I'm rubbish, is it? Because the trouble is I normally do things just on my own. And then sometimes I, I, I did the, the I, I Write Festival in Glasgow. And it turned out there was a journalist there to, to interview me. And I went, I'm so sorry. You're going to be, there's so little for you to do. You'll ask me a question. I'll go off and do some stupid voices. I'll stand up and lark about. And then it will be 50 minutes in. You'll say, can we have questions from the audience? So, you know, but, but yeah. it's, uh, um, but that's, was, that's, that's the show off in me. I was at an event at Foils in London and Max Porter was interviewing uh, Kevin Barry about his new book, Night Boat to Tangier. And at one point, because Kevin is a raconteur and he's, you know, wonderful and does all the voices and all of that. And at one point, Max just started a question with, OK, so here's another question. Let's see if you can actually answer this one this time. <laughs> you know, see if you could engage with the question. Because I think similarly, you know, if you have someone who, you know, does all the voices, is a raconteur, is an enthusiast, it's very difficult to tie them down, especially when they're talking about a creative project, which they, they, they of course, know all the things that aren't in the book that could have been in the book, you know, all the stories around what's in the book and things like that, that they, these are stories that maybe were edited out. So, you know, things like, I, I love footnotes. I'm allowed about a third of my footnotes. And, and probably next well, I just time. did earlier on today, did a, a, a podcast with Stuart Lee. And, uh, of course, Stuart is, it's you know... It's his fault. His, yeah, it's yeah, his yeah. fault. Is it, where is that? Because so, David Foster Wallace, of course, was quite keen on the footnote, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a kind of... It's it's started out being scholarly, didn't it, and intellectual, and then with how I escaped my certain fate, uh, basically the footnote was just made into a sort of um, sort of uh, proto flea bag side glance mm. in that book, and um, I love I love addenda. I think addenda, and do you know the book of leaves? I've it's yes I've got it I haven't read it though yeah yeah it's, which is a kind of choose your own adventure with footnotes um in a you know dusty box in an attic somewhere I mean sort of very Alan Moorish mm. in that way where it's a labyrinthine project very John Fowles talking of Lyme Regis you know the idea of when they were making the Magus you know um uh Michael Caine turned around at one point and said to the crew of Jebel does anyone have any clue about what's going on <laughs> you know and uh, in the same way with 2001 Space Odyssey, there's a famous story of somebody stood up at the end and just was going, just walking out going, what the hell just happened? You know, what's all this? And I think... My favourite is the one who, because a lot of people took LSD and went to see it, and uh, there was, someone actually ended up just leaping through the screen, saying, I see it! I see it! And then <laughs> oh, crashed through the screen. Excellent. Well, yeah, so <laughs> that, all of that is exactly why I love footnotes. And I also like endnotes. And I also like indexes. 
and I like bibliographies and I like discographies. More books should have discographies. I got away with that once. Um, Tim Winton's Dirt Music is good for the, for that mm. where you go because I know they actually brought out an album to go. But I, I like that idea of you know uh, kind of suggestions, listening suggestions for this chapter. Yeah, I love that sort of thing. I've I've put up a couple of playlists over the over the years on on Twitter to do with different books and. I mean, but there are some authors who hate that sort of thing. You know, they're not interested in the in the addenda, in the extrasolar stuff beyond the book. It's all about the book. I mean, I love the physicality of books. I love book book as object, which I think going back to Stuart Lee is one of his great passions. You know, the the footnotes will not work with Kindle. Really, isn't that great? Mm. You have to have an actual book. You you know, which is printed on trees. Um, and this is one of the, you know, I'm roundly mocked and ridiculed for various things. But one of the things that I'm mocked for is that I love books. I love the world of books. I love the fact that, that these authors, they exist. I get to bump into them sometimes and get to talk about books and things. And I love books as physical things with end papers and with, you know, spines that you can crack, although you shouldn't. Uh, but you can sometimes if you're having to scan them. We're not going to go on another of those bloody perfect binding rants. No. How annoying is that period of time? Well, I don't know when it starts, the late 60s, and you pick up a book that hasn't been properly opened for some time Mm. and the pages fall into your bath. I'm not going to go on that rant again. How do you feel about, I'm sure this has been covered before, how do you feel about the American thing where they don't have the properly guillotined edges? Oh, yeah, I find that, I don't mind that because I normally buy those books from, they're they're normally remainder. If you go go Mm. to a book like Judge, Street Books or something like that often get a lot of American uh, editions. So yeah. I don't, uh, yeah. That, no, I can't. I, I once took one of those books and put it through a guillotine. It, it obviously went badly wrong and I had a, ended up with pulling out a lot of pages with this sort of printer's guillotine. But there's something about that. It's like pulling uh, wool socks out of a slightly closed drawer. Oh, there's okay. that kind of textural thing that puts my teeth, you know, makes my teeth sing. Oh, that um, will be the acrylic seats on a late 1970s Ford Fiesta for me, so I'm fine with it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, all of that. You know, I'm when you're the A.L. Kennedy's non-existent, uh, you know, tracksuit. If that was one of those um, sort of mid '90s, um, just very flammable things. You know, one of the proper things that everyone had. Kangol. If it was one of those Kangol ones where people on buses, and you could just oh, yeah. see that they were they were engines for static electricity, and you thought they're going to go out and touch someone in the world, and that person is their heart's going to briefly stop with the amount of spark <laughs> coming out of you, Sunny Jim. Um, anyway, books are the opposite of that, or should be. And so with those with those American edges, I'm just like, why? Why not put it through a guillotine? What's wrong with you? It's just you had one job. <laughs> it's a weird thing. Where do you think? Because I'm a, a book fetishist as well. I mean, like the books we've got on this table. Three that I bought on the way here because there's Knox family near the studio, and I needed. I mean, I've got four copies of Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse Five, but I haven't got oh. any which have an image from the film on the cover. Oh. And I've got three copies of Confederacy of Dunces, but I haven't got the early King Penguin one with a not very good kind of cartoon to no. uh, give you uh, a sense. And I needed Cynthia Payne's Trial. You know, the, someone who's written a book of Cynthia Payne, the famous Madam uh, of Streatham. Uh, I thought that'd probably come in useful. Yeah. So I can't walk past a bookshop and then you know yesterday. Again, I bought. I, I just looked to the books I bought in the last week, and it's another shelf's worth. Which is the book you have most copies of? Uh, now, I think it's Neil Postman's "Amusing Ourselves to Death," oh. uh, b- partly because I haven't given any of them away. 
Mm. You know, there are certain books that I give away quite a lot, and so that just goes on. But I think Confederacy of Dunces and... Uh, no, it's, that's only... I think I've only got three or four copies of that. But mm-hmm. if it's got a different cover, and it's an interesting cover, Colin Wilson. I have far too many books by Colin Wilson, you, mm-hmm. the author of The Outsider, and then the author of uh, many books that are roughly the same as The Outsider. And uh, and I think <laughs> I've got... A, yeah, they're just... It's such a five... I think I've got five editions of The Outsider. Okay. Because um, they've always had quite interesting covers as well, okay. and and I think I've spent more time buying books by Colin Wilson than reading them. Mm. Definitely, there are certain authors where I love the idea of Colin Wilson, and I love uh, Anthony Reynolds, who used to be in the band Jack. He did a a, a kind of album that's almost with with uh, Colin Wilson's kind of involved in 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 that. And there's something about I think cause it's attached to my childhood when 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 the occult came out, his big book about the occult. Uh, that was at the same time I was reading magazines about Bigfoot and Bermuda Triangle and ESP. Mm-hmm. And so it's con- connected to a kind of sense of nostalgia. Okay. Sorry, I probably interrupted you in a previous podcast and I'm going to interrupt you again. Be sure to check out everything else going on at CosmicShambles.com. We've got other podcasts such as Science Shambles where myself and Helen Chersky chat to all sorts of brilliant scientists about their current work and Brain Yapping with Dean Burnett and Rachel England tackling questions about the brain. Exclusive blogs from top science writers like John Butterworth, Susie Gage, Dean Burnett, Ginny Smith and others. Videos, documentaries and lots of live events. The Cosmic Shambles Network is the place for people who are curious about the universe and everything it contains and things that might also it doesn't contain but we're just kind of mucking about with those ideas you know all of that stuff have you read all of the wind in the willows as in not the bit that's kind of the the abridged bit that alan bennett would read uh all of the wind in the willows i would have, when i was about nine years old i would have read right. my dad's copy of it yeah. so in the middle of the wind in the willows um kenneth graham has put in a chapter called the piper at the gates of Dawn. oh yeah 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 yes where Pan turns up, the god Pan, yeah. and there's an otter cub, and Ratty and Molly go and and rescue this otter cub that's being looked after, looked over by Pan. I had no idea this existed. I knew that Piper at the Gates of Dawn was a Wind in the Willows reference, but I didn't know how. And then I was recently up at Gladstone's Library um, for, an, for a book festival, and this very lovely lady... Um, came outside and there was um, Charlotte Higgins was there talking about her labyrinth book. Oh, uh, this all links. Then she was on this yesterday. Oh, okay. Yeah, and she <laughs> excellent. <laughs> yeah, it was pure chance. I'm not that organised. Um, and they had made a labyrinth um, outside uh, with string and spray paint. Uh, you know, just just like they did in ancient Greek times. Um, and. Uh, there was a lady came over and we started talking about myth and things like that. And then she started talking about a book by Kenneth Graham called Pagan Papers that he wrote, which is all um, the proto uh, Stephen uh, Fry mythos book mm. that, that Kenneth Graham wrote. And then was telling me all about the middle of the wind in the willows. So I went back and read it and it's utterly bonkers. It's it's astonishingly fever dreamish and so is it in though the kind of the nice version that was done with all the you know lovely kind of hardback copy that's it is it in or it, is it should it be some right with the original because I have Wind in the Willows hands on the me, cover I have no memory of reading that and yet I remember reading I remember lying in bed and and sitting and and, and reading the whole of that yeah and yet that is. It's strange because, I mean, I think I missed it because I had the Alan Bennett tape. My childhood was, you know, um, punctuated and wonderfully soundtracked by Alan Bennett reading House at Pooh Corner, The Wind in the Willows and Alice in Wonderland, you know. And I used to be able to quote it 
um, a great length when I was little. Um, but I think looking back, it was an abridged version. All of those were slightly abridged. Um, but yeah, I had no memory of it at all. And then when you go back, it's so very different, not just to other bits of Wind in the Willows, but to, to everything. It's just a, it's just thoroughly bonkers. And you have that um, sense that here is somebody who's suddenly gone into the gear of their real enthusiasm. Mm. In that sense, you know, uh, Kenneth Graham, he's gone all scholarly. There aren't footnotes, so he loses points for that. But the the original book had a big frontispiece that was a big picture of Pan in colour. And it had the hardback had a sort of foiled, almost uh, illuminated front, which also had the horns of Pan on. And when you see that, you're suddenly like, how Masonic is this book? Mm. You know, how weird is it anyway? Um, and also, what are the other hidden chapters I never knew anything about? You know, Ratty and Molly sort of become communists. Yeah. Ratty and Molly, you know, set up their kind of like uh, liquor still during the uh, 100 Acre. No, not 100 Acre. Would you see I'm conflating things? But anyway. What's the, are there any books? Because I, I think, you know, revisiting the books of our childhood is quite kind of a... Or any... There's a certain point, I think, you know, where our teenage books, some survive and some do not survive. And that the way that our mind changes uh, over time, there are certain points where you can sometimes go back to a book every five years and then you mm. suddenly get to, for, for me, you know, the age of 40 or whatever, and you go back and you go, oh, it doesn't work anymore. The spell's mm. gone. And yeah. I've always find, what, what for you is the book that you can, at this point in time, I know you're not as old as me, but you can keep going back to it as yet. It, it, it remains as rich and it changes. I'm trying to think. There was a book I read recently where, well, in fact, it is reading Slaughterhouse Five again, which I read every mm. few years. Uh, I read a different book every single time. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't mean physically. I mean, th- there's there's something else. Certainly the sense of, of ageing and passing through time and th- that means a lot more yeah. than... A, a, and. I think the last time I read it, the, the element about war, the element about you were just boys, you were boys, and what kind of book are you going to write? Mm. You're going to write a book about heroes, but you were boys and you were, you know, that that bit where the, the, the wife of his friend took that. Yeah. It, it, that bit really stuck with me the yeah. last time I read it. Yeah. Yeah. And and actually, when you're saying that, I can I can picture that scene. I mean, I love that book as well. I love Cat's Cradle as yeah. well. That's amazing. Um for its, um, I mean, it's 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 his version of the Crystal World, in a way. You know, the, those two books are so linked. I think Sh- Sherlock Holmes. Going back to Sherlock Holmes, I I just voraciously all of the Sherlock Holmes as a kid. And again, I had um, story tapes. And uh, did you have John Gilgood and Ralph Richardson? No, I had the BBC ones a bit later, and uh, that had um, uh, later they had um, oh. Well, they had Judy Dench's husband as Watson. Michael Williams. Michael Williams. And then later, it was Andrew Sachs took over from Michael Williams. Um, I can't remember who played Holmes. Um, But I once met Judy Dench for lunch, and I told her how much I really enjoyed her husband. Was it Clive? Clive Exton? Emerson? Yeah. We'll check. Yeah. Who did the Sherlock Holmes books with Michael Williams, please? Yeah. There we go. We now request that from our Blake 7 style Zen computer, for those old enough to know that. And I said, I love Watson so so much. And, you know, obviously within that was I was sorry that, you know, Michael Michael had died because he died, I think, quite recently. And she said, didn't didn't Andrew do a wonderful job? Was the first thing she said. She went straight on to that sort of just so generous and lovely about it. And you know, she, she I think she has a passion for Sherlock Holmes as well. I know Sarah Perry does. Right. Sarah Perry absolutely adores the Sherlock Holmes things. I think she's a member of the society, which I'm not. 
and I should be. Uh, but Clive yeah. Merrison, by the way, is oh, the name Clive of the actor. Yeah. Ah. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, we have the little screen behind That's you. That's very good. Um, but no, someone said the other day, because I was watching... Uh, in fact, it was, uh, yeah, uh, watching John Gielgud in a film. And uh, I thought, when every time I see John Gielgud or Ralph Richardson on screen, uh, there's a set... Oh, good. Mm. And I was saying that, that Olivier... You don't get that. I don't know why. I'm not saying he, he was a great actor, of course, but I don't go. Oh, it's Olivia. I go, but with Ralph Rich and yeah, and, and John Good. And then someone said, "Have you?" And the first thing someone said, "You must listen to them doing Sherlock Holmes." And uh, I think going straight from watching something like Pinter's No Man Land, yes, No Man's Land, course. with them into then seeing them do uh, Holmes and Watson could be quite an interesting psychological exercise. Yeah, was there the thing in No Man's Land where they they ad libbed a great deal of it, where they would turn up and one of them go. Where do you get your shoes? And the other would say, "Oh, uh, oh, a, a man, a man. Are these shoes are." Ah. And then it would go on for five minutes, and then the the director would be feverishly looking through the script as to where the shoe bit was. Oh, so they didn't actually do it on the night; they merely did it in rehearsal, or they did it. I don't know. I think they. I think they did it on the night, or I think there definitely there is footage of it having been done. Did they do a film of it? Well, they've recorded it. It's kind of not particularly filmy, but it's, it's one of those ones very okay. much filming. Did they do the, Sleuth? They didn't do Sleuth, did no, they? No, I don't think so anyway. No. OK. Well, yeah, scrap that. Anyway, so, yeah, Sherlock Holmes. I return to that, and that's amazing. Um, there is another one. That, I mean, The Little Prince is one. Again, yeah. it's a book that you can take so many things from, a slim volume. Um, and I think... I don't know. I, at the moment, I'm reading... All of the Maygrays. So right. all of Simonon's Maygrays in order. Now, that just... was a remarkable thing. I've not read any, but he's... I mean, the number of them... Mm. At times he was turning the... I mean, he almost was writing them at the same speed that you would be reading them, yeah. it seems. It was one every three, four weeks would come in um, to the publisher. And there's the... It's it's amazing because it's so... Again, it's very humane, but Maygray is one of these detectives. He doesn't solve crime. He solves people. Mm. And his motto is sort of, um, you know, to judge not. So he's he's very interested in the workings of of not necessarily the crime, but the people involved with the crime. And then eventually he does he sorts it out, or he doesn't sort it out. There are quite a few of them where he just leaves it alone. He's been called in to. Um, you know, solve a case because he's well known and he happens to be in the area. And then the local police are royally screwing it up. And he just watches it happen and then takes a decision that perhaps, you know, they've got to the right answer by the wrong methods or, they, or they're letting somebody get away and maybe he should get away. You know, maybe that's just, you know, like Spider-Man, everyone gets one, like, you know. Uh, and Do you know about what, I mean, in terms of that, process of writing because I'm always intrigued by when Natalie Haynes was on this we were talking a little bit about Ray Bradbury mm. and when I look at the size when you actually physically see those huge volumes of short stories mm. that ability to perpetually generate and, and a lot of them are not you know there are certain short story writers where you might go oh they're re revisiting but actually with Ray Bradbury I think he goes off in so many different places well, mm. another example would be someone like Harlan Ellison as well and I'm intrigued as to what it is in an imagination that means you can find because I don't know if you've ever had that process when you try and find a story sometimes it takes fucking ages and sometimes you never find it at all yeah it's that it's a it it comes to work ethic I think doesn't it there's the Picasso you know 
uh, what is it? Inspiration does exist, but it must find you working. Right. And I think you have to write through it. Nick Cave says that he doesn't believe in writer's block. You just work, and some of it's good and some of it's not good. But the important thing is to keep going. And I'm always fascinated. You, you had someone like John Cheever, who, you know, like, has a small world, it seems, but minds it, minds it for so many short stories and so many, um, they're not even, I mean, sometimes it feels like they are vin vignettes, they are behind glass, like like doll's house scenes. Um, and I'm, I'm fascinated by the process of people who keep coming up with stories, different stories. I mean, Ray Bradbury is, a, is remarkable. Ballard was yeah. fairly remarkable. Um, and see, he... Ballard, I suppose, the things that you do go, and I love reading him. Uh, and if I just bought a copy of the Unlimited Dream Company the yes, other day, nice I love little hardback over there, which I've not read before. Oh. And someone said, I think it was John Self said, isn't that the really weird one where he grows ring wings, then starts masturbating, and things grow out of different areas of Shepperton? Yes, it is. Right, and... I'm looking forward to that then. But then you were talking earlier, when you were talking about the horror films with Diana Rigg um, and things in London tube stations, I was thinking that that sounds like a early Avengers that's really got out of hand, you know, where the uh, where the blood, um, the blood supply was uh, massively uh, sort of um, inflated for that particular episode. In a similar way, um, the Unlimited Dream Company puts me it's it's a Malcolm McDowell film that never got made. It's he's definitely in it. It's if um or it, which one was if if it's if it's Roddy McDowell and some form of golem. I've never seen that. I've only seen a picture in Alan Frank's book of horror movies of that one. Oh, okay. If is yeah, that's yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's if and all the wibbly wobbly effects because he keeps trying to get across the M25 and every time he walks in a particular direction towards the M25, it dwindles however far he walks and he ends up back in Shepperton or somewhere. Um, but you read that book and you think, oh, this is you know. Again, it's like an episode of The Avengers where they don't have the budget to quite, mm. you know, uh, do a dream sequence. So suddenly Steed blinks and he's back at the main house and there's that robotic dog that doesn't really hang together as a plot device looking at him. He goes, oh, dear me, and then wanders around and gets trapped in a maze, that sort of thing, you know. I love that 1960s imagination where, you know, that great episode of The Prisoner where, well, unfortunately, uh, Patrick McGowan's still doing Ice Station Zebra, so uh, what are we going to do? He could have had a brain transplant and be another actor for a bit. Yeah, sure. Like with the, the Batman film where Maggie Gyllenhaal is suddenly... Uh, the who was who was the one who was uh, Tom Cruise's wife? Um, I can't remember her name. No, uh, uh, Nicole Kidman. No, the other one. <laughs> oh, uh, the one he jumped on the sofa for. The, yeah, the one. Yeah, yeah, one who was in Dawson's Creek. Yes, that yeah. one. Dawson's Creek lady is suddenly replaced by Maggie Gyllenhaal, and everybody's just you know, like in Due South where Ray disappeared, and then everyone just played it cool for several seasons. There's not enough use to that. Katie Holmes, by the way, Katie Holmes. came up on the magic screen there. Who, Wonderful. There's also very interesting stories about how she managed to get out of that uh, particular thing, uh, relationship. Um, <laughs> but uh, you have to be very careful the moment you mention that sure. particular church, I'm told. Uh that I used to love. I, I never watched that many of those American daytime soaps, but the fact that sometimes it would literally say the part of Deborah today is being played by, mm. and there would just be for two days a different actor would pop in, and then Deborah, the normal actor, would be back again. It's like with the voice actors on the Archers. Yeah, my mother has strong opinions about this, um, and uh, you know, I, I yeah, that's that is weird, and in the same way with do you find with books that you picture a character. And then when you reread the book, somebody else is playing that character now. Does that make yeah. sense? 
I'm never quite certain how much of a person's face I see, but I do know when I then see the film version that it's wrong. Yeah. So one of my favourite books was a film, I don't know if you ever read, a, a book called uh, Bee Season by Myla Goldberg. No. It's a very interesting book about, uh, it's just, there's a lot of things in it, read it, it's really great. But it was then cast and it was Richard Gere was the father. And I was like, no, 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 right. no, that's entirely right. And the whole family, no one looked right. And therefore, I've, even though the film is, is made by uh, two guys who I think are very, very good, and uh, the guys who made the film Sature as well, um, but I was like, no, 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 because that won't work now. Well, and yeah. that's, an, that's why I think bad books very often make better films. We've probably had this discussion on this before, but that thing where someone goes, oh, I, you know what, I think I can do something with this. Sure. Whereas when you have something that's a brilliant, complete work, and all of you've you've created the rich their, their ability to uh, create such rich visual images in your head. Yeah, no well, one's gonna. Well, shit famously makes better mulch, doesn't it? Yeah, for for growing things. In, well, I mean, going back to Maygrave, they've just done the thing on ITV, and it's got Rowan Atkinson as Maygrave, and and I haven't I have not watched any of it because it's far more Michael Gambon than it ever was Rowan Atkinson. Rowan Atkinson is not a large, rotund, pipe-smoking man with a sensitive face who solves people rather than crime. Rowan Atkinson is Rowan Atkinson doing Maygrey. And that's what realized... happened with Rebus, wasn't it? Oh, the, yeah. The first, first Rebus. Yeah. And then I've said, that's a weird thing. I've only read a few of those. But, um, you know, there's they turn whole novels into hour-long episodes. Yeah. So I watched one. I can't remember whether it's called Snakes and Ladders. It's something like that. And, and I was like, but that... None of this happens in the book. No. You've literally taken one thing from the book. Yes. And that's... A MacGuffin that's... that wasn't even a MacGuffin. You've just taken one sentence and thought, oh, I could run with that. Well, that's why not did what they a book do is. That? Here they were. They've, they've got the rights. Yeah. Every single one of those books could be a six-parter. Yes. Well, I mean, now, now of course, we think six-parters are normal. But in those days, I mean... I'm, I mean, my, my, this, is a, this is a tangent. Um, somebody put on Twitter, there's a Taggart jigsaw. And they just suddenly found it because, um, and they were holding, they were holding this Taggart jigsaw, and it's just Taggart's face. It looks like a still from one of the uh, episodes with Taggart's face in a circle that looks slightly like a dog food advert with Taggart at the top, and uh, it's a, it's a picture of a graveyard, and it says Taggart at the bottom. And I know right, the original actor good. died, but I think that's slightly mawkish to then yeah. sort of like put in a freeze frame of a random graveyard. He always his... wanted a memorial jigsaw puzzle. It's what he, he would said, have when wanted. I die, yeah. please make a jigsaw of me. We've run out of time because you've got to go off and uh, <laughs> I don't want to delay you anymore. And we've uh, not talked really about your book at all uh, or your most recent book. Uh, so you're going to have to buy it instead. It's not just about one man in Iceland trying to deliver a Toyota to the centre of uh, the South Pole. Um, and uh, so, go, Dan, where's the best place for people to find out more? about your stuff um i suppose canongate website or i'm on twitter and i will i will talk to them about it there yeah so it's uh and your fantastic collection of interviews as well which i i, I thoroughly enjoyed the um the beachwood airship, beachwood interviews. airship interviews which is great and uh so that that is worth uh who published that that's not canongate is it though? no that's, that's uh that was harper collins so there's an, there's another one to find as well. And uh, is uh, Outpost, it's not in paperback yet, is it? It's going to be paperback early next year. Um, and I'm doing events and things um, in the coming months. I'm doing Sheffield, I think, in November. 
am I? Or October or something. That will be on the Calling so Game website as well. So you're doing off the shelf as well. Yes. There. Yes, off the shelf. Go and check them all out. Uh, Dan, thanks very much. Have a nice trip down to Bristol. If anyone would like to see Dan in Bristol, you'll have to go into the past, which unfortunately currently breaks the laws of physics. So it's quite impossible to see him at the 15 by 5 festival. But maybe talk to your friends about it. Do try. Nice time. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, do try. Give it a go. Find a wormhole and work it out from there. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Go to CosmicShambles.com website to find out more stuff. Bye. Thank you very much for listening. Patreon.com slash bookshambles to support the show. Cosmicshambles.com for all the live events and podcasts and stuff we've got coming up. Go check out Dan's book, robinince.com for Robin's tour dates. We will be back with another new episode next week. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for your support. Have yourself an excellent week. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.